0: Welcome to the Alliance Bible Church Podcast. We exist to be a healthy community living and sharing the good news of Jesus with neighbors and nations. Our scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And when he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord, that you have wisdom beyond our own, that you've prepared our hearts to hear from you, and all you need for us to do is to open our hearts and minds to what you have to say. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you get me, your, your simple servant, out of the way, uh, that, that your word would resound in my heart, in our community, and in the lives of anyone who hears it. Through this message. In your precious name we pray. Amen. 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 So that's kind of a funny video, wasn't it? But yeah, it points out when we when we talk about problems in life and the problems we're experiencing, um that word problems or those words grief can mean different things to different people. I mean, we even In the West, have created a whole category of problems that needs its own name. Some people call these things first world problems. Examples of such, like when you're surfing the web at work and that phone interrupts you, or when your show is about to come on and you can't find the remote. an exceptional life event happened today that you can't wait to tell the world about, but it's just not going to fit into Twitter's 140 characters, right? I mean, that's, that's true morning, true morning. But to, to step away from our first world problems for a minute and look at the world as a whole, it's easiest for us to recognize that things in the world are broken, I mean, all you need to do is watch the news or pick up a newspaper, and you can see the brokenness that's spread across our communities, our country, and the entire world. A few things that are broken in this world are our bodies, right? I mean, those things peak very early, and then it's kind of like a slow decline. Your sense of energy in life goes along with that. Relationships don't work out perfect. Don't even get me started on my car, all right? Like, it's just a picture of the entropy of the world. And today, we're going to read some scripture that tells us about how to find blessing, not just in spite of, but even through some of those things. My first point today is that mourning, a sense of mourning, is both a feeling and a process. Mourning, as it's related to biblically, is both a feeling and a process. Now I've got to admit, being male, this whole thing about feelings, like was a struggle for me for a while, all right? Let's be real. I probably started out at some point in life when I started engaging the idea of feelings, and I probably came to that conversation with two feelings, right? I was either happy or angry, and that's about as far as it went. Can anybody relate? So, so then they had, I remember in school, they had those little uh, like face pictures to relate what all the different emotions, emotions are, and there's like a hundred of them. And I was like, man, I'm, when God handed out those things, I must have been absent that day. I mean, if you're going to ask me the difference between like sad and grieving, fuming versus furious or discouraged versus disappointed, like my head would blow up. All right. Does that make me happy or angry? I don't even know. So to to define today what we're talking about when we engage mourning, I read this definition. Mourning is a process which an individual will go through after losing someone or something of great importance in their life. Feelings may include apathy, grief, or dejection, and almost potentially an entire loss of interest in the outside world. So we'll we'll start in with what the Bible would would say about things that cause us mourning. I'm going to list three things today that can cause us to mourn or be sad. One is the brokenness of the world. The brokenness of the world. Since, Since the time when Adam and Eve decided they wanted to be snake charmers, this world is chock full of brokenness, isn't it? There's wars breaking out. There's children being abducted. The Chicago Cubs closers have been a train wreck for a hundred years. There's atrocity everywhere. The Bible would tell us to grieve over the suffering in the world, that those things aren't just to be ignored or walked by or walked over, but that part of God's grief and brokenness is that he experiences those things himself in the beloved creation that he made to enjoy and to share with us. Some theologians have even used the term spiritual entropy to describe the tendency towards spiritual decay, disunity, and dysfunction that is present in the world. The only thing preventing that from being the entirety of our world is God's grace working powerfully on a moment-by-moment basis to combat that sense of entropy. God even talks about that ongoing struggle and what it's going to be like in salvation. He talks about this in Isaiah 61, verse 1. Let me read it to you. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's the Old Testament expectation of what Jesus is going to do when he gets here, is to bind up the brokenhearted. He goes on, verse 2, to also to, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion and give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified." That verse tells me that God's going to work through our sadness and our grief to make us both righteous. And the picture of an oak tree is an image that talks about strength. Strong and righteous is what he's going to make us despite any of our wounds and hurts or losses in this world. The second thing we can mourn is hurts that have happened to us. It's been said there's one thing that binds all of humanity, and that's that we have all suffered loss. To be quite frank with you, on a personal level, I'd rather not lose anything to begin with. I'd rather like not need to get bound up at the end. Like, wouldn't that be a lot more empowering? But as a as a monk once said, the truth that many people don't understand until it is too late is that the more that you try to avoid suffering, the more you will suffer. As in the insignificant things begin to torture you in proportion to your fear of being hurt. If you engage the world from a posture of trying to avoid pain, you're going to start to more and more even avoid the potential of pain But doing anything worth doing in this life is to open yourself up. Sometimes those hurts can be also in the form of disappointments, right? Sort of secondary hurts. There's the things that happened to me and the things that could have happened but didn't quite line up. Life wins that I wish I would have had. Breaks that I would have gotten, wish I would have gotten. Six inches on my frame and like 80 pounds so I could go play football. Wouldn't that be great? We're all going to go mourn some things, but some of the worst mourning that we can have is disappointment from chasing after things that aren't Jesus. And sometimes, the things that most need to change, kind of like the video showed, are right in plain sight, yet we are lax to engage them Jesus told his disciples to take up his cross and follow him and that the things that they did to him that they will do to us also yet despite a christian history packed full of martyrs and church leaders warning about the dangers of com- comfortable christianity our whole culture seems to be very comfortable accepting the comforts of church and wanting to avoid anything that's uncomfortable or painful about following Jesus. The third thing to mourn is our own sin. There's too many passages to even count that talk about the damage of what sin does. Let me ask you this morning, how long has it been since you were deeply grieved? Deeply grieved by your own sin. One of the things that mourning brings is a sensitive sensitivity to that, both the sin in you and the sin in the world. And you see, if we're not careful, from time to time, our hearts can become hardened to those things. We can get willful and brush through life without being sensitive to what's going on in our own hearts and the destruction and brokenness in the world. And instead of growing soft to God's words, we grow determined in our own ways. If it's been a while since sin grieved you, I would challenge you today to have a little scrutiny on your life. So this upcoming week, just look over your heart. Ask yourself, has it gotten at all a little bit hard? Let your life be shaped by willingness. His willingness to forgive you and your willingness to be submitted to God. My second point is we can, be, we can expect to be shaped through mourning. It's been said that God creates saints in a lot the same way that a man extracts juice from grapes. This is a culture that the ancient Near East culture was one where they created their own wine. And through that, they would actually harvest fruit, get the juice out of it, and then ferment it to create the wine. But there is two parts to extracting the juice. Two parts. The first one is called the crush. Right? It's when you take the grape, you harvest the fruit, you get it together. Back in the day, they would have people who were barefoot walking over the grapes to crush it open. That would get the juice flowing, mix it over the outside peel of the grapes so that some of those tannins would wash in there. And then the next part is the pressing. Not to be confused with the crushing. The crushing is one part, the pressing is the next, where they take and they extract all the juice that they possibly can from that fruit. Now, although they sound interchangeable, crushing and pressing are two totally different processes. As mentioned, crushing was simply that break, but pressing, on the other hand, completely separates the grape juice from the fiber and the solids that make them a berry sometimes those processes are done at the same time and sometimes they're done at different times depending on what you want to produce now when i I think of crushing and pressing in my own life um, these are passages i'd rather hear about than learn firsthand you know what i'm talking about But the Bible says that Jesus was crushed for our transgressions. And a solid review of the historicity of our faith will reveal that in the lives of his saints throughout history. See, trials are just, one of the things trials are is preparations for life to come. The tests of life aren't in how you handle life's parties or life's major victories. The tests come when you find yourself on the wrong side of something extraordinarily painful that you can't control. C.S. Lewis said it like this, Nothing will shake a man, or at any rate, a man like me, out of his merely verbal thinking and his merely notional beliefs. He has to be knocked silly before he comes to his senses. Only torture will bring out that truth, and only under torture does he discover it from himself. He would go on to say, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts to us in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. But it's interesting that in our culture, like many, we would point to our successes to define us. Maybe it's our, the degrees we've earned. Maybe it's a title we hold at work. An investment portfolio we've so carefully managed that allows us to get the things and live the way that we want to live. And it sounds even countercultural to look at disappointment to help define us. David Platt, a missionary director for the Southern Baptist, said this, We live in a world of urgent spiritual and physical needs. Half of the world's population lives on less than $3 a day. Over a billion people dwell in desperate poverty. Because... a day is not desperate poverty. Then there's desperate poverty. Billions of people are engrossed in the worship of false gods, approximately 2 billion of whom are unreached with the gospel. That tells me there is unmet need and suffering all over the world. What enables Christians to think differently in light of all that is that our identity doesn't come from our present circumstances, our degrees, our titles, our finances. Our present circumstance, the defining present circumstance, is our identity in Jesus and his work in our life. Jesus would talk about this in Matthew eleven sixteen 16 through 18. He says, "...but to whom I shall compare this generation..." It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. And just like that generation, our culture is in danger of skirting painful things to its own unhappy end. Although the sense of suffering in this world is immense, we serve a Savior who is the God over all things. As Martin Luther King once said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. My third point is that we find our hope through His comfort. We find our hope through His comfort. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 8 through 11 it says we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair we're persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. I admit it's difficult sometimes to get my mind around the upside-down sense of blessing in the Bible. The irony that the sad could be the blessed and the poor could be the rich. It's kind of a funny aside. Mark Twain once famously noted the researching of many, the researches of many commentaries has already thrown much darkness on the certain subjects of the Bible. And it's probable that if they continue their research, we shall soon know nothing about it at all. One of the things that's clear from this passage, though, is that God promises hope in His comfort. God promises hope in His comfort. The the Greek word for comfort here does mean consolation, though that's kind of one of the lesser-used definitions of that word to console or comfort. The word which is used here is more like one to summon to one side an ally a helper a counselor or a witness it's also used as an like an invite to a party or to a banquet can you imagine the lord on high looking down for those who are experiencing loss and saying I'm coming along you as a helper, as a counselor, as an ally. I'm calling you to be an honored guest in my house. Isn't that an amazing thought? One commentator said this, there's a blessedness in sorrow. There's a blessedness in taking the right way, even if the right way is the hard way, and there is blessedness and sorrow for the sins and sorrows and the sufferings of men. But there is supreme blessedness in the godly sorrow, which leads to repentance, which receives the forgiveness of God. Hope may come in how God is using loss to prepare our life. The reason that we even have ability to grieve is that we're made in God's image. And God gave us emotions to mirror His emotions. The reason we have mourning comes out of the sense of loss in what God created to be perfect. As God made a perfect creation and mourns the loss of it, we too have to live in that now imperfect creation and mourn the loss of what Genesis calls the burrs and the briars, the pain of childbirth, and the brokenness of the world. If you aren't the one experiencing loss at this time, you're called to be someone who gives consolation. One pastor said it, if you don't need help, then you need to be a help. Be aware that those who are mourning. And I, I realize, too, as, as, as a male, I can be less sensitive to this. Like, I think there's things that our women know and understand that are true that I can miss from time to time. One of the other things that, we can, that can cause us pain, ironically, is growth. Growth can be something that we experience grief in. Right? Follow me here. You can't grow without change. You can't change without losing something. And if you're losing something you like, even if it's for something better, there's still pain. And there's not pain without grief even in a healthy context of growing into something else in your life, there can be a sense of loss or a sense of grief. Such as a child leaving home to go to college. Or the passing of a family member graduating into someplace even better than here. In all of that, we're called to seek the gospel to be at work in our life. See, the gospel isn't just what we proclaim to unbelievers. It's the beginning, the middle, the end of salvation. It's God's promise to restore us in our wounds and bind us as He prepares to come back and take us to heaven forever. What can we do in the light of all of this? The first thing we can do, recognize that Suffering is a part of life. As they say in the classic picture, The Princess Bride, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says anything different is selling you something. Now, I point out pop references just to say, if we're honest, it's not just the church who recognizes these things that even though we might not agree 100% with the theology of what the rest of the world says, they can notice the same things. But in that, that's where the similarity ends. The difference with us, we have a powerful answer and a powerful reply to those observations. And his name is Jesus. See, Christian spirituality is uniquely developed within the context of suffering. Openness to suffering is really openness to life. Suffering is an inevitable part of life, and if we are open to any of life, we must be open to all. Openness means living it with willingness and not willfulness. Willfulness. The second thing we can do in light of all this is look for that spiritual aspect to life. Look for that spiritual aspect in gain or in loss. 2 Corinthians 4:17 said it like this: for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us, preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So you see, in this life, you're not gonna get to take, you're close to heaven. You're not going to take your car to heaven. You're not even going to take your cash to heaven. The only thing you take out of this life is your character. And God cares about your character far more than He cares about your comfort. In Joshua 1, verse 5, God said, Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The third point on what to do in light of all this is to draw closer in community. It's been said that God never meant, you, meant for you to go through life on your own. That when you share your joy, it's doubled. And when you share your grief, it's cut in half. We're meant to experience life in the context of relationship. If you stuff things, you'll get stuck in moving forward in life. You'll either be avoidant of pain or not get over it. Somebody even once said, if I don't let it out, I'll act it out. If you ca- In response to that, if you care, you'll be aware. If you care... You'll be aware. You'll be aware of the others around you and what they're going through. You'll be aware that people may be experiencing things or pain that you can't get your mind around. You'll be aware to not minimize their pain. You'll be aware to not rush them off into doing something that's hurtful. The fourth thing we can do in light of all this is to draw closer to God. Is to draw closer to God. There's a specific blessing that God makes available to those who are mourning, and that's Himself. God's there for you. He's a champion of yours. And you have to know that you will never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, 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 ever feel the wrath of God. You will never, ever, ever feel the wrath of God if you put your faith in Jesus. He bore that wrath upon the cross. You may experience God's discipline, but you will not experience that wrath. Romans one eight. Well, I'm sorry. Romans eight eighteen says, "For I consider the suffering of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that's being revealed in us." The Lord will never take you down a path except to make you a sharper instrument for His glory. He's near to you when you suffer. He is waiting with open arms to call you back to Him and touch your life in ways you didn't imagine possible. Maybe a sub-point to that is maybe it's a good day to turn yourself in. Some of my police friends have a saying like this <laughs> to, to the people they're chasing, to the criminals they're chasing. They say, you can run if you want, but it's just going to get worse for you. It's just going to get worse for you. Keep on running. I would say that's true too if God's pursuing you and you're running from Him and anything. It's just going to get worse for you. Sometimes we can avoid God in our mourning. Sometimes we can use that grief or sadness even as an excuse for our own pet sins. Could be something you hold on to that has gone from an unhealthy crutch to a flat-out sinful pattern. Maybe you justify it due to the fact you're hurting and need something to fill that void. Could be disguised as anger. Maybe it's some pictures you shouldn't be looking at. Even a self righteous sense of disconnection. The point is that we can't hide our sins from God. We can try to hide them from people, but God sees all things, and God sees around all of our excuses. At the end of the day, our only hope is to confess our sins to God. His gospel grants us not only forgiveness, but strength to avoid sin in the future. See, Jesus Christ didn't just come to die so that you could go to heaven one day, although He did die for that. He also died so that we can be empowered by His Spirit living inside of us and walk in the power of His resurrection every day that in times of good or evil, that He's there to support us, to grow us, and to bless us as we grow towards Him. And in the end, as He says in Revelation, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. There shall be neither mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the formal things have passed away. We will be complete when we look into His face When we forget about himself, ourselves, and join with him forever and have joy forever. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the work that you've already done in our lives, how you've prepared us for today. How your work is already evident in what you're doing in us and where you're taking us in where we've been. Lord, you know every step that we've taken in years past, every harm, hurt, or hang-up that we have, Lord, today we come before you and we ask for freedom, that we could find it in repentance of our sins and of ourself, that we could look for healing hands and to be a healing hand in our community, and that, Lord, you would spur us to be ever more like you and spur the fire within our hearts for your glory. your precious name, amen. Thank you for checking out the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information, you can visit AllianceBible.Church.